0: This is episode 339 dated Friday, December 22nd, 2023.
1: You are listening to the In Perspective, Perspective. weekly podcast with Bob Branco and Peter O'Toole.
0: Hi everybody, welcome once again to In Perspective. My name is Bob Branco. How are you this day? Merry Christmas to all. This is episode 339, dated Friday, December 22nd, 2023. With us, of course, we have Peter Alchil of Coos Bay, Oregon, good friend, colleague and co-host. Peter, what's going on? How you doing?
2: We're doing fine, getting ready for Christmas. Lots of activity here and the weather's actually cooperating. No atmospheric rivers anytime soon. So we're, we're enjoying the run up for Christmas. And you will be a groom soon. I will be a groom. I'm getting married on Thursday at 6 p.m. East Coast time. We just came back from the church where we rehearsed the music, and it's going to be quite an event.
0: Oh, I'm very happy for both of you, Peter. Thank you. I'm sure I speak for a lot of other people when I say that. Well, thanks for the support. Uh, it It should be a great time. Yes. Let me thank those who make it possible for In Perspective to be available to all of us. We have our media sources. Thank you for airing us when you do. I also want to thank our executive editor and producer, Raymond Gay, for making sure that we have a quality file to send out and to air. Also, Tom and Lynn from Rosie's Place. Thank you for hosting our programs on Bulletin Board number 15 on the chat line. And finally, Jacqueline Sylvia, JS Web Solutions. Thank you for archiving in perspective on my website. All you need to do is go to www.brancoevents.com. Arrow down until you get to In Perspective podcasts. Click on those, and you will see most of our archives programs from latest to earliest. Merci, Jackie, and, and thanks, and thanks to Trish for being our co-host once again on today's program. We are very delighted to have with us Mike Caps. Mike has done a lot of work behind <laughs> the scenes and publicly. As far as news and sports reporting is concerned, he was once a broadcast news reporter and manager. He is now working as a radio voice of the Round Rock Express minor league baseball team. He's done a lot of things. And Mike, it's a pleasure having you with us today on In Perspective. Welcome. Bob,
3: I'm so glad to be with you. You know, I've been on your sports show and, and really looking forward to In Perspective.
0: So. Tell us how you got started in the media business a while back. It might only seem like it was yesterday, but nonetheless.
3: Well, it 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 does seem that way. I was exposed to some news reporters who came to Buffalo, Texas, which is about 115 20 miles south of Dallas when I was 8 years old in 1959. A Braniff prop jet crashed there and my father Who was an undertaker and cattle rancher, if you can believe that duopoly, was in charge of the cleanup of this uh, this ghastly crash. Well, he met and made friends with several news reporters from Dallas, Fort Worth, and from Houston, and so much so that they come that that and hunted deer and and just hung out with my dad a lot. Even visited me in school in second grade. And by the time the Kennedy assassination rolled around, my dad was such good friends with him. We were up in Dallas where my grandparents lived, and they were frightened. They'd were they heard all those TV reports during the assassination that they were worried about. There was some kind of conspiracy, and my grandparents got worried, so we drove the 90 miles up to, to Dallas. My dad calls down to the CBS affiliate newsroom, and the news director answers, who was a friend of my dad, And they get to talking, and he says, do you have Mike with you? I said, yes. So bring him down. I walked into chaos, a room about 55 feet wide and and 60 feet deep. Guys smoking cigarettes. Remember, this was 1963. Throwing film cans. And I was mesmerized by the whole thing at age 12. Now, I'd already been in one of the guys' minor league baseball booths, Bill Mercer, who later became the original voice of the Rangers. And so I'd found two places where I just sort of fit in at age 12, and now I'm from a town of 1,500. And so at the end of the day, these guys became friends of mine. My dad died four years later. After tell, before telling, before he died told me, he said,
0: oh, I'm sorry,
4: somebody's jaws is we talking.
0: We have to okay. shut that off, please. Okay. I'm
1: sorry, someone's jaws please. is talking. Please mute. Please. Okay. Okay. There we go. Sorry about that.
0: Go ahead, Mike. Okay. So, so, uh,
3: my dad, as we walked out of this newsroom told me, he said, you know, you may be, you, you, you may, you may do that at some point. I'm from a town of 1,500. That's it's just not going to happen. Okay. Well, you think, think the news business is not strange? Four uh. years later, my dad died. Two years after that, I broadcast my first radio news broadcast in 1970. So I went from there. I never lost sight of the baseball career I wanted to have. I, that came later, but that's how I got into it originally. I worked at a, at a small radio station. In Huntsville, Texas, I was going to Sam Houston State University at that time, and had a full-time job waiting for me. My senior year, down in Port Arthur, was there for a year and a half, and then went to my first major market station at the NBC affiliate in Houston, and away I went.
2: So I, I need to apologize. I got kicked off of Zoom, and that's why I, I, my my speech came on. In any case, I I'm back. Can you all hear me?
0: Yes, I can. Go right yes. ahead, Peter. So, sorry
2: about that, Trish. So, Mike, thanks for that intro. I was going to ask you about all those things, and you did a great job on sort of summarizing how you got into the media. And I'm sort of struck by the fact how different the media experience was back then to describe it and the way it is now. I worked for Reuters in the early 2000s, and -hmm. the way you describe it is is very, very different. Peter, Uh, yes, it it is
3: incredibly different. I, I don't even recognize it. I worked for two networks. I worked for ABC and management. And after that, I became a CNN correspondent. And, and this was in the days that Ted Turner owned CNN. CNN then was a straight up no guff, no BS news service worldwide. It's, it's, it, the, it's depth of coverage was just crazy. I covered the Gulf War. I was in Haiti when they overthrew Aristide. I did the Branch Davidian Siege in Waco. Came up with a case of PTSD, and that's another topic for another time. But saw a lot, was able to do a lot, was, nomine- was nominated for a national Emmy for our 10-hour live coverage at the end of the Branch Davidian Siege in Waco. But to say it's different, I don't recognize it now. I mean, and it, kids, this all started in 1987 when Ronald Reagan did away with the fairness doctrine. When fairness was enacted, you didn't present two sides of a story. You had to present and dig up all sides of a story. That, that meant that it was hard. It was hard to lie about a story. It was hard to make up a story. You couldn't do it. There were so, because you had to make sure everybody was covered. When Reagan did away with that, in my opinion, having watched this develop it was in 1987, 88, when fairness went away, all bets were off. Rush Limbaugh got on the air on radio and, and began his long, long time run and never took a call that, that countered his opinion at all. Didn't have to. Fairness didn't, didn't factor in. It was gone. And of course then the left has to come up. With some kind of response to that and they do. And so the, 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 the problem that started out as a little fissure in, in earth service and, and for the rest of us as news connoisseurs became a huge, huge chasm that we now know today. So we have people from the hard right, people from the hard left standing across. Instead of building bridges and working together to solve problems now, we have a Congress that wants to fistfight at every turn, and that means nothing but chaos.
0: This is what causes voter apathy, Mike, and I'm going to echo your sentiment. Here in my city and even in surrounding towns, we have talk shows that are either liberal talk shows or conservative talk shows. There was one time where we had a liberal and a conservative on the same program, but that's very rare nowadays.
3: Well, it's more fair. Yeah.
0: If it is more fair. Well. It's more balanced as well.
3: Yes, it is. And and look, just as an aside here, somebody to somebodies, Republicans and Democrats, better start reaching across the aisle. We can lose this democracy. We can lose it. It can be lost. And I had somebody tell me today, well, you know, democracies only normally last about 200 years. And we're right at yeah. the end of that. And, well, I don't choose to look at it that way. I choose to look at it as I had a grandfather who fought in the Battle of the Argonne Forest in World War I and earned six battle stars and lost a baseball career because he lost hearing in the left ear. I know so many, so many of my friends lost uncles or dads or brothers in Vietnam. In Korea, in World War II, those people fought for
2: our freedoms,
3: and we're about to give them away.
2: Mike, before well, there's lots to be said about that, but I wanted to sort of add to your comment about the Ferris doctrine and how that impacted. The other thing I think that has impacted it, and it's connected, is the whole issue of money. You know, I think what's happened is even folks like the New York Times and CNN now is is very aware of who listens to them. And caters to that audience. They're, they no longer cater to, to the entire, you know, uh, spectrum because they, they know where the money comes from. Fox doesn't either. And I think it's, it's a real, I think money has contributed in a major way to this problem.
3: Well, we see money ruin a bunch of stuff around yep. us. Boy, I don't dispute that at all, Peter. Yep. It, anytime, anytime you're trying to take a country as big as ours is with as many Diverse religions and and folks who come from different racial backgrounds and you try to mix them together and instead of mixing them together and trying to encourage them to work together for the end being a better good for all money would just absolutely incentivize those who want to create the chaos
2: we may come back to this topic, Mike, but I want to sort of looking at your bio, you covered a, a bunch of extraordinary stories, starting from uh, a, a death, I guess a death penalty uh, thing, space launches. You mentioned what uh, Iraq, you mentioned the branch Davidians. Ex- I'm sure there are things I'm forgetting, a bunch of really extraordinary things. Which of those stories most, still most resonates with you? Man, that's hard.
3: Here in Texas, I would have to say the death penalty. I was the first television television reporter in the history of the state of Texas to witness an execution, and I don't like the fact that I had to do that. But I I I needed to do it because the coverage from young reporters who were who were trying to go in and do that kind of thing it, it just they were so wrapped up in in the ugliness of the death they They couldn't report they 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 couldn't paint the word picture of what it was like in the death chamber, and that wasn't going to work for anybody in my opinion, but mm-hmm. long story short, I would have to say in 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 real broad strokes the chance I had to cover eighteen space shuttle missions. I even had a cousin that flew on the fourth mission, and I knew a lot of those people who perished when Challenger blew up just because I was living in Houston a part of that time. And got to see and be around my cousin a lot and therefore know a lot of astronauts, knew a lot of astronauts in those days. And so just for happiness sake and all of, all of the happiness melting when, when Challenger blew up, but just being involved in that, it was such, it was such a time that galvanized America and, and really we saw what Americans could do. we'd already been to space, we'd already been to the moon but but those space shuttle missions were just so much fun to cover because we got to know the astronauts we got to we got to know the people who were on the ground running the show from inside the Johnson Space Center in Houston and it just was it it was an awesome time to be able to walk into that place. And greet people you knew and just watch them succeed. It just, it it really was one of the top, top assignments I, I had in the 25 years I was in the news
2: business. And I, I know you're out of the game, as it were, but what's going on with the space program now? How is it different? Do you think, do you think there's a chance of re, re-energizing that program? Because It sure seems to be sort of moribund these days.
3: That is a great word for it, Peter. That's a great word. I keep thinking that when when all this private money being spent in space, it'll ultimately jar NASA to wide awake status and get them back and going. It just makes more sense for a government entity to run it than a private entity like we're seeing now. You know, you, you see... Somebody's going to do a launch and and you go, well, who is that? What are they about? Nobody knows that. I think the media has done a very poor job of, of bringing those, those stories to the forefront. And you know, we, we only read about failures. It seems to me and not about some of the success, whatever success they have to me gets shuffled off to the next wherever we got some kind of a international confrontation going on. And so it, that space program, I grew up, I met John Glenn when I was 10 years old. He was <laughs> deer, deer hunted in East Texas, close to where my dad deer hunted. And, and, and I stayed a fan of his, and I even interviewed him two or three times when I was at CNN, so that was kind of cool. But the bottom line to the whole thing is, we just create so much positivity in in our lives when we watch those guys succeed, yeah, one of them blew up, but how many times did they pull that off and, yeah. and everything succeeded handsomely, and then all of a sudden, poof, it just goes away and and uh, we shouldn't be spending money on space no, nah. I remember
0: watching Neil Armstrong when he Landed on the moon when he walked yep. onto the moon's surface. It was on a Sunday night in July of 69. Right. And I was so much in awe that a human being, don't forget, I was only 11 years old at the time, that a human being would actually go so far as to do something that way, something that brave, to step onto the moon surface, a moon that many of us looked at as children, as adults from the earth, never thinking anybody would actually be up there. Bob, I was
3: playing baseball. I was, I'm a little older than you. I, I was 18 years old and I was playing in a real fast amateur league in Dallas against ex professional players, faced three ex major league pitchers. And I, I had time to finish my game. We started early on that particular, night on that Sunday night and was able to race to my grandparents home in Dallas and turn the TV on just in time to see it. And it, just exactly the way you described it. You're sitting there in your little chair. You—it was a clear night in Texas, and you could see the moon. And you wonder, boy, are we little back here compared to what's going on out there? And it was just—it was almost overwhelming to an 18-year-old. I can only imagine what it was doing to an 11-year-old. It it was—it was—it—it was beyond belief. We were able to pull that off, but end of the day, it just shows what good people with good intent, with a lot of class, a lot of guts and a lot of determination can do. And I I just, I hold our country to that standard. And, And it's why I get discouraged today when we've got criminals running rampant in government and, and just going wild and able to avoid all sorts of criminal charges and all that other stuff. We are better than that. And it's time for us to stand up and be better than that, in my opinion.
2: And, and one of the things, as you said before, one of the things the space program did, uh, is bring us together. It was everything, everybody yeah. wasn't all of that. And it was, Absolutely. it was, a, it was a great, it was a great moment. It was, it, it really was a great moment. I, given what's going on in the Middle East, I wanted to ask you to sort of talk about your experience over there and what you think sort of, sort of two parts. You know what was your experience like over there covering covering you know the the U.S. Iraq first war, and what do you think based on your experiences might be a solution to what's going over there now?
3: That second one will take a little while. Let me answer the first. The first, okay. one, I was there for two tours, eight months total. I went in right before the war started. Well, a few months before it, this was. I was in there around Halloween of. What was it? 1990. And we all were allowed to furlough out and I furloughed out. And wouldn't you know, the the war broke out on the floor and it was over in 44 hours. Well, the next week I was back and up in the mountains of northern Iraq with the Kurdish refugees who've been (laughs) run out of their homes and up onto those mountains in northern Iraq. And I saw some fierce fighting by the Pesh, the uh, Kurdish militia. They'd crawl in on their bellies, steal the uh, Iraqi soldiers' munitions, and start firing at them. And I got to know those kids very, very well. And every one of them, every one of them who came up to me who could speak English would say, "I'm fighting because I want to go live in America." Now, that that set me back because I, I guess I, at that point, I'm you know what? I turned 40 years old. 40 years old in 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 Iraq. And I, I hadn't given it that much thought. I guess I was just so mesmerized about the fact that I was there. But the bottom line is, you know, they they made all the sense in the world. And there they were fighting to get out to get a chance to come to America. And I had great appreciation for them. These kids, some of them, I'd see them before a firefight and then I never saw them again. So it just shows you what people are, are able to do. But Peter, the, the second part of this, you have such a conundrum with so many different entities involved. I will always go back. I think a lot of people celebrated when Saddam Hussein was, was, was finally killed off. Saddam Hussein really as, as, as war criminals go, was a pretty good war criminal, but he also held things in check
2: mm-hmm.
3: in in the Middle East. And and I don't think we have anybody like that that can deter other things from happening. And I think when when Saddam went away, a whole lot of what we had going in the Middle East went away. And and as bad as he was in the chaos he created. For the original Gulf war, it it just, I would, I would sincerely hate to be in, in the position that our president and, and all of our, all of our uh, folks who work in that region diplomatically are in trying to figure out how does this work out? How, and, and see the politics of it. If you make the wrong move you're going to upset one facet. If you make another move, you're going to upset the other side. You're going to get creamed at the polls. If you don't do something, I, I wish I was smart enough to figure this out. I just think until you stop shooting at each other and get across the table, I mean, golly, if Sadat, if Sadat and Menachem Begin can sit down and end up shaking hands, we can solve this.
0: Thanks to Jimmy Carter.
3: Thanks to Jimmy Carter. And thanks to Jimmy Carter for a whole lot more than that. And thanks for his wife who we lost, but gentle people, wonderful people, maybe not the best president in the world, but he, but, but he made a difference there, didn't he?
2: Yeah, he he, abs- he absolutely did, and and I I am one of these people who I, I you know the amazing part of this Sadat bagan thing is these people were willing to risk their lives to do this. I think both of them knew that they that they were at risk of their lives when Sadat lost his life. He did uh, because of that, and it took some real guts to do it. And I think it really what it really requires is people with guts to take these huge risks on both sides simultaneously, which is asking a lot. And I think uh, my sense. Go ahead. I'm sorry.
3: That's a great point. It's yeah. a great point because it's so much easier to just fall back into weeds and yeah. and criticize and and make fun of. And if you have an idea, I just say step up. Somebody. It, it's just not so different a conundrum than what we face here at home.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: It's to me. I mean, it, it's it's. Somebody needs to step up. Somebody needs to take charge. And this is what we're going to do. And if you don't like it, vote me out. But be careful because devil take the hindmost. You might get the devil.
2: Well, I I think the the irony about all this is, is that if people who take those risks to to try bold things and, and courageous things, the people they need to most worry about are the people who are. They're most strong allies. It's one of those paradoxes because yes. those strong allies, that they feel betrayed, will do everything they can to break these to bring these people down. Yeah. So it it is it it takes real courage to do something like that. Of Be, before I want to before we move open for questions, I want to I was intrigued by the work you did with the, uh, the SMU program. This is before your work in the Middle East, uh, you know, which 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 promoted the SMU to get the death death penalty back. So talk about that. And then I'm also curious about your take on sort of sports and you know and and what's going on today in sports because it strikes me that a place that the same thing could happen again and probably already is.
3: Well, two completely different situations. SMU had been paying football players that we found out until since 1959 when we picked up on this. A producer named John Sparks and I at WFAA, the ABC affiliate in Dallas Fort Worth. Started in on this in, in 1983. We began to get death threats. We, f- we located a story that should have garnered the death penalty for SMU. I'm feeding it back from Houston. It, the subject was from Beaumont, Texas, 90 miles east of Houston. And this young man had never passed an English class nor a math class in high school. And yet had spent four years at SMU, SMU boosters had paid off his parents. They bought him brand new home, brand new Cadillacs. Apparently he'd been paid about $1,500 a month, which in 83 for a college kid was really good. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Okay. So I'm feeding this story back and our lawyer the TV station's lawyer was listening in from the newsroom when we, when we fed it back away, this was not for air. It was fed back and the lawyer was going to listen to it. And every time I made a statement on the recorded broadcast that we taped and and fed from Houston, he'd say, no, no, no. So that shut that story down. Three years later, we finally get them. We find a former linebacker who had from SMU, who had moved to um, to Wyoming, and uh, John Sparks found him, went up and interviewed him, and it it he just laid it all out. Well, once that all hit the fan, and I must note here that ESPN has has a thirty for thirty on this particular subject, and you will note. That Mike Caps and John Sparks were not interviewed. Every, every sports reporter in Dallas, Fort Worth who had done ancillary coverage was interviewed. Caps and Sparks are not. Why? Well, the guy who filmed that particular ESPN adventure, guess what? He went to SMU. Oh, so, so, so. All of this to say our news director was a former CBS operative. This was an ABC affiliate and we sat in a huddle after the lawyer left that day when he disallowed our story and we went for outside counsel, got outside counsel and in 86, we popped them and the third, remember, if you remember the history, there were 10 SMU boosters, money guys, Who were banned from that program from, from, for, for their life, for the rest of their lives. Would you like to guess who the third person out of that room who'd been banned was? If you said the lawyer, you win a cookie. So we were, we were fighting a whole bunch of problems in, but got it done. And, and I look at this today. You guys, and it's, I think, now they have this NIL, which allows payments of whatever a kid can get. And it's it's amazing to me, okay, there's a better way to pay the players rather than somebody gets three or four million bucks a year and somebody gets nothing or 20 grand or whatever it is. I I guess at some point this will all even itself out, but it's still a mess. You you have the transfer portal now, which is nothing but chaos. And, okay, at some point, okay, if you're going to pay players to play, and I don't have a real problem with that, at least have some way somehow of, of being more fair where everybody gets a fair shake in the thing. And at the end of that day, why not think about making sure that you, well, you don't have to worry about boosters for sure, but but just make sure it's fair to everybody.
0: Yeah. And it's Mike. Not- you you referred to the transfer portal. I've been hearing that term for a while now, and I'm trying to understand the definition of the transfer portal. Could you elaborate on that a little bit, please? Yeah.
3: Uh, so so every player. Is, is eligible to go in and you, all you have to do is say, I'm, I'm going to take the transfer portal. And then it's open season on all coaches in, within the power five schools to come and get somebody.
2: That's not just the power five schools, right? I mean, anybody can go on the portal. Well, that's right. That's right. It,
0: yeah. Yeah. But what but, is the portal?
2: Well, it's another way of saying uh, it's, it's sort of a free agent system, right? That's I mean, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It, it, it's a fancy term. For saying, you know, players can now play, you know, after every year, they can switch schools, basically.
3: Well, where's the loyalty? Well, They're that's ready.
2: right. But I, you know, well, this gets, this is a whole conversation, which we probably should talk more about more in sports roundtable, but, but it, 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 the whole system is just weird. I mean, it's just out of balance. I'm, I'm very much in favor of the players being played, uh, paid. I'm that's also very much in, in favor of players being allowed to move, you know, especially if their coaches leave. But the way it's happening is just totally chaotic. And I, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Here's the thing.
3: Allow him to move once. Yeah. Once. I mean, I mean, I can understand. I can understand one time a player wanting to move. Maybe you've got a guy that that has come in there and torn it up, and you're never going to play behind him. Well, you have a right to continue your career. And a lot, the NCAA at one time had a rule where you had to sit out a year. You don't have to do that anymore. You just go and play. Well, that's not fair. And, and gee whiz, it, it's, it, it, it really, to me, is making a mockery of college sports. If college sports wasn't doing it on its own. It, well, it's, I
2: think the NCAA has been a joke for years, but that's a whole other conversation. Well,
3: hey, hey, that's that, you know, I'll be happy to talk to you on the sports program about that, but yeah. it's, We just saw so much and, and I had quite a few death threat, death threats. I even came home one night and saw some guys up on the telephone pole about a half a block down the street. And I got closer and they weren't telephone guys and I recognized one of them. He was an FBI agent. (laughs) He said, Hey, I heard you having a little trouble with (laughs) death
2: threats. Except we'll see if we can't pick that guy off for you. That's amazing. I mean well.
0: talk about journalism at your know, your life at risk.
2: <laughs> Bob, I think we need to turn it over to, to our audience. Yes.
0: Yeah, so you're listening to In Perspective, and I'm Bob Branco, and my co-host is Peter Alchel. We have Mike Caps, former broadcast news reporter and manager, and current radio announcer for the Round Rock Express baseball team. Let me turn it over to Tricia to find out if there are any hands raised because we're welcoming participants.
5: And we do. Tony, go ahead, please. Tony, welcome. Thank you. Can you hear me?
0: Yes, we can.
5: First, I want to make a comment regarding the transfer portal. We have a guy here in New York City metropolitan area named Rick Patino who is going to transform St. John's University basketball into a a competitive team using that transfer portal. So I've got really mixed feelings about it because he's going to do this in one year and we'll see, we'll see how it goes, but we'll, we'll, we'll uh, we'll wait for the, uh, uh, the sports broadcast for that. Okay. So I have a really big picture question to ask and you may or may not be able to answer this. Do you get a sense from all your years watching how the world is functioning? Whether the world is in, in worse shape now than ever before or the same. And we always think we're in the worst shape. <laughs> decade to decade.
3: Tony, I don't mean to giggle, but I'll tell you, <laughs> I, my wife and I have this discussion. It's like once every time we watch news broadcasts <laughs> and it's not funny really, but it's, it, I guess it's more irony than anything else. I don't know that I've ever seen more chaos in the world at one time than, than right now, but I choose to be an optimist about it because I think we need more optimists and I think we need more people putting more pressure on their congressmen and women and, and just insisting they do the right thing or we'll vote them out and then having the the sanctity of memory of what the founding fathers went through and what they intended to do with this and step up and do the right thing and stop telling lies. Lie after lie after lie. Didn't your parents raise you? Mine did. Never lie. Because once you lie, you've got to lie to protect the other lie, to protect the other lie, to protect the other. And, and, and here we are. Here we are. So, if I
0: may, if if I may respond to you and Tony, just for a second, Mike. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but well, no. I'm hearing that society is having the reputation now as being too complacent. A lot of people sit back and let these chaotic things happen, and they don't step up like they should. They don't stand up like they should, and that's why you're seeing the same people elected all the time. Nobody's being voted out of office. No problems are being resolved to anybody's satisfaction, it seems. Do you agree that there is too much complacency in society? Me? I agree. Yes,
3: Yes, sir. Absolutely. No question. Thank you, Anthony.
0: And Merry Christmas. Okay. Okay. Who do we have next, Trish?
4: Next, we have Rick Troiano. Go ahead, please.
0: Rick from Florida. What's going on, Rick? Okay. There we go.
4: First of all, I want to wish everybody a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, whatever holiday you're having for yourself there. And I find this talk very, very interesting in in a couple of levels. First of all, I'm gonna to touch on the sports aspect because I I I love sports and I just I just want to touch on this really quickly. I think when you're talking about kids in in college, I don't agree that they should be paid for what they do because they're learning. It's a it's a learning process and and a lot of these kids get, you know, on on scholarships you know, which is wonderful, and the and you know their education is being paid for. And I mean, the bottom line is, when you take sports out of the out of the equation, you know, you're talking about education. So <clears throat> that's you know, that's my one com- comment. Second comment. I have is, um, I agree with you totally that the the state of our country the state of our world is in a desperate desperate place right now and <clears throat> I've tried myself to get involved do things to voice my opinions to You know, get out and, and, and make my feelings known. And I tried today and I'm getting things like, well, nothing's happening in your area or nothing's happening in Florida. And I'm like, how could nothing be happening? This, this, I mean, it's so crazy what's going on that Nobody's standing up. Nobody's getting up and saying this is is wrong. You know, whatever your political opinion is, you have have the right to stand up and say this is wrong.
2: See, I guess what I would say about this, and I'm curious about your take, Mike, is that it's the wrong people that are standing up. It's the it's the fringe people on both sides. It's the folks on the far left and the far right who are driving the conversation. And the rest of us are being either are, are 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 not responding at all or are being ignored. And until the sort of what do they call it the 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 middle militant middle gets more militant, this is the problem we're going to have. I, that this is my take of, on on that question.
3: I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. And I'll tell you something. I, I would like for I try to I try to balance it this way. And, and it and it's it it sounds simplistic. But if you put if you put the criminal activity, the massive criminal activity we're talking about on one side, Mm -hmm. if you put it on the other side, well, the side who's conducting a big criminal activity now would be screaming about it. Yeah. Crazy. Mm -hmm. So. So, I mean. That's not arguable. That's what we're seeing this every day. Right. And, and right. so you're so right about the middle that the, our world that we live in in the U S is not going to, is not going to travel from the extremes. I mean, my brother and I have this discussion all the time. I was raised by a very progressive father who I lost when I was 17 years old. My brother was only fourteen, and I don't think he picked up much of what my dad was teaching, but it was this. You gotta live with yourself. So you might you better tell the truth. You absolutely mm. tell the truth. Do mm-hmm. not be afraid. Move forward. A lot of people die to protect your freedom. And huh. a lot of people are gonna die to protect your freedom because guess what? This is the best country in the world. Well, we we've seen We've seen so much these last several years of lawlessness, pure lawlessness mm-hmm. that nobody, and, and my brother and I used to get in this discussion all the time. I was raised and learned to shoot. I went to cover wars and saw people get blown apart. I can't hunt to save my life. Mm-hmm. I just can't. I can't. The blood, I can't. I can't understand why. Folks do it. I understand that a lot of them need to eat. I got that. But if you think somebody, who, and I've heard this discussion, especially down here in Texas so much, it makes my ears bleed. They're going to come get our guns. Who's going to get your guns? Tell me who is going to march into your house if you're armed and get your gun. I don't know anybody that's stupid enough to walk into somebody's house and say, give me your gun. I would think it was a, an intruder. You know, I, I don't understand that argument at all. I, and and I am a gun safety advocate. I have a, a weapon for protection in my house. I seldom shoot it. And that's my right. Yeah. But I'm not waving a banner of it. You're not taking away my gun. Nobody's going to take away. Who would take away your gun? I mean, somebody from the far left is going to charge into your ha- Nope. Somebody from the far right is going to charge it. Nope. I mean, I I don't follow that. And I, I just think sensible people should be able to sit down and say, I respect who you are. You respect who I am. If we join hands across the aisle, you and I will come up with a better solution to this problem we're talking about. Than either one of us could do as an individual. I
2: firmly believe that,
3: and I firmly need, believe it, it. It has to happen, and soon.
2: Thank you, Rick. And, 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 and as one who has, has been part of this, making this happen on the abortion issue a while back, what I learned is if you get people to to communicate across those boundaries, extraordinary things happen. Yes, uh, extraordinary things really
0: do happen. It's, it was it was wonderful to watch. Uh, Trish, who's next?
4: Brian Capolo. Go ahead.
0: I'm uh, Brian from Massachusetts. Welcome to In Perspective. Oh, Brian. He needs to unmute.
1: Brian, you need to unmute? Yeah, I'm unmuted now. Can you all hear me? Yes. Yes, yes we mute. can, sir. Okay, good. I'm glad I got on because, I, one, I have a question from Michael, the captain, news captain. Mm. First of all, Some house, some house cleaning issues, okay. And and I mean, it may sound trivia. It may sound um, and it may sound offensive to some people, okay. But in the olden days, okay, when I used to be watching news, okay, (coughs) I used to see all newscasts. A lot of newscasts, except for when there was those who were working out in the field during inclement weather. Dressed professionally. Today, today, I don't see that. And I'm, and I'm wondering, okay, if we, if, you know, part of that ain't leading into the, leading into how complacent we're running from this, from discipline, even in the workplace. It's not just the
0: news, Brian. It's everywhere.
1: Well, Mike, I'm glad I brought, I just, I just bring up the news because you were working in the news.
3: Okay, Brian, I'm glad you're saying it. Let
5: me,
3: me, well, that, well, that was actually Bob, but let me, let me, let me, let me expound on that because Bob's on the right track. Really get, Bob really nailed it. It is going on society wise, what you're saying. We, my wife and I were talking about this, uh, coming out of church the other day and she said, boy, you don't see anybody dressed for church anymore. And it's, that's, yeah. But but what we find now in 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 all reality, when when you're looking at somebody who's sitting is seated in a news set as an anchor, I just don't understand why they wouldn't want to dress up and look professional in that atmosphere. The other side of it is, I have actually seen guys from my generation go out to a plane crash in their Brooks Brothers suit. And tie, and then and and that really looks out of place, yeah, yeah, because there's sweat and all sorts of stuff going on, and people are dying or have died and and here out trots somebody who looks completely out of place because they're dressed up to the nines, male or female. That doesn't make sense to me this but but gosh, Brian, your your point is 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 so well taken and so well understood. It's a it's a it's a pride issue as a human being. It's a pride issue representing who you're working for. It's a pride issue in your craft. And so there's I think I think we're all talking about the same thing and we're all agreeing here.
2: Trisha, uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, hold on, Brian. Trish, how many other folks do we have with their hands raised? We have two. And about and about ten and minutes
5: and it's yeah, it's ten minutes. Oh
4: actually no we have three.
2: Okay. Yeah. Uh, Brian, I'm gonna have to ask you to to say uh, to to say goodbye because I want to get other people a chance to talk. So, uh, thank yeah. you, Brian. I I appreciate it.
4: Yeah. Thank we you,
0: Brian. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Brian.
4: Uh okay. We're gonna go with Tony. Go ahead. I hope so. Tony? Hello, I'm muted.
5: Thank you. I'm wondering, it seems to me that a lot of the difficulty that we have in politics is um, coming from the right more than the left. And I'm just wondering what kind, what, what what is it that they're hanging on to so desperately because their tactics are generally not straightforward all the time and they certainly are heavy handed. So so what are they hanging on to, do you think? Power. Power, Yeah. (laughs)
3: I I don't know if that would be any more specific about it. I mean,
0: the problem is that both parties would say that about the other. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that's right.
2: I also think that uh, it really comes down to a myth. And I think, and a myth is, myths are not all bad things, but the myth that things were so much better in the 1950s and, and and in many ways they might be, but in many ways they were terrible. And, and, uh, uh, and so I think what's happening is there is this myth that the right is just trying to. If we only got back to the way things were, pick pick a time, things would be great. And the other side is saying, I don't want to. Be, I don't want to go back to that time. I don't I, no, thank you. I don't. I don't want to do it. Uh, so I, I, I think, agree
3: completely. I agree. I, I think
2: that that really is the, the 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 bottom line issue, and we could talk about that forever.
3: Listen, um, if you were if you were Ward and June Cleaver and Beaver and Wally in Springfield. White family in the 1950s, pretty good chance you had it pretty well, had had it going pretty well. Go down to Alabama and the black people down there, they didn't have it going well at all. So, you know, this is a much deeper question than 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 a lot of questions that we've had so far. And 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 I got to tell you, we just I said this at the outset, we got to
2: do better. We have to do better. Uh Anthony, I'm sorry. I interrupted you. Is there
0: anything else you wanted to say? No, no. No,
5: no. It's okay. It's deep and it's it's long. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you, Anthony.
0: Thank you, Anthony. Merry Christmas to you. Trish? All right.
4: Next, we have a phone number. Enrico, 281-665. Go ahead.
0: Is that Beth? Maybe not.
4: No. Be next, but not there this
2: it is. Month. It's Michael.
0: Oh, ah, it's Michael. I should have recognized the last three digits. How you so doing, Reverend <laughs> Mike? Merry <laughs> Christmas. Good. You know, I couldn't. I, I couldn't pass up a
4: chance to to talk to to Cap.
0: <laughs> you're so, a good
3: man. You, not, you don't live that far from me. I come see you. That's
0: right.
3: That's right. But so my question is, and, and it's 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 in line with
4: with what we've been talking about uh, today. Is "Quote unquote mainstream journalism, and by by mainstream, I mean professional journalists who try to present the truth. Is mainstream journalism under attack today?
3: Boy, I sure think so. Mm-hmm. I sure think so. And there's so many specifics we could go into, and I could sit here until." 10 o'clock tonight, central time talking about them. But let's, let's just say this. It's not as easy to be a straight shooting broadcast or print reporter as it was in the day that, that I was blessed to have been in that business. It's just not. There's so much. Big corporations now own the major broadcast entities and that's a bad, bad thing. Because there's no way to know from the inside. And I have no knowledge of how these people are treated and and approached by their bosses. We had a news director in Dallas named Marty Haig. And he had a steadfast rule that salespeople could not come in the newsroom. And you can understand why just, just from the outset. And I say this because... Kent Haig and Ray Miller, who was my boss in Houston at Channel 2 before I went to Dallas, they did the same thing. No salespeople. They didn't want any kind of outside interference screwing with their news policy and maybe somebody would try to come and buy a story, say. That didn't happen at either one of those news shops, I'm proud to say. So, at the end of the day, I love the question. i Fear for these kids. And I'll tell you something else I fear for them when they're over there covering those wars, Ukraine, wherever it is, Gaza, it affects you. It affects your emotions. And I had a, I had a spring loaded case of PTSD coming out of years of that covering cop news in Houston and all the things I saw in Haiti and, and in the Middle East covering wars. Look, it's not an easy job. It's not. And if, if corporations are messing around with those people, spy on them because we have to have a free, free press in order to function as
0: a country. I believe. It, does, does this include iHeart? Uh, I
2: don't know if iHeart r- runs media. I mean, we're talking about. Uh, What doesn't doesn't Disney own ABC or something, if I remember it's yeah. correct. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it really is crazy. It's a money making thing. And people, you know, my sense is that the way you make money is to know who your audience is. Right. Yeah. And to tailor for the yeah. audience. That's that's what making money is all about. And that's not what news should be about.
3: Exactly. And that's, if you remember, if you remember when Rupert Murdoch bought the the New York Post, and then got into the TV business, he promised, you can look this up online, he promised that he would change America's way of watching television. Think about it.
2: That's what he's done, among other people. He's not the old one, but that that, that's what he's done.
0: We have about another minute and a half, so I just want to give one more person. Thank you, Reverend Mike. We appreciate you. Reverend Mike, you're a good man. Thank you for calling. Of course you are. And Merry Christmas to you, too.
4: And, and the but last I, hand we have Is Bass Go ahead, Beth.
2: Beth. Um, I think you're from Texas I was just going to say Mexico. I was Go just going to
4: say Go You say that people are becoming Complacent and they are but When People are taken off Ballots or when uh, Like big corporations Own different Super PACs I think people get A lot of apathy there
2: yeah, I think I think that's fair. I, I, I wish we had more time to talk about it, but I think you're right.
3: Absolutely, it, it's it's such a fine line, isn't it? Being a good person and then seeing that sort of thing happen, you are taken aback. That's
0: exactly right, Peter. Indeed, Beth. Thank you so much. We're running out of time, but we appreciate thank
4: you. And Merry Christmas,
0: and the same to you too. Merry Christmas to Merry you. My uh, Mike Caps. Merry Christmas to you as well, and thank you once again for taking the time. You've now been on two of our podcasts, Sports Roundtable and In Perspective, and we'd like to have you back, back to, you know, very yeah, soon. We'd
2: love, yeah, we'd love to have you back at some point. I think you guys, Peter oh, Bob, we'll make okay. that arrangement.
3: You do it, great! I love you. You, you have you. a merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Thanks.
0: Same to you. You all. Yeah. Tune in next week. We're going to have an, another regular back with us. Congressman John Leboutlier is going to expound on us, tell us what's going on, give his inputs about what's going on today peter and trish and our participants mike everybody merry christmas to all happy hanukkah whatever you're celebrating i'm bob branco go safe with god's abundant blessings and take care everybody